Well, good morning. Uh, just really blessed by the appearance of our sanctuary this morning, and I want to be certain to thank those who were responsible for adorning the, the uh, sanctuary and uh, setting the tone for the season of Advent, and certainly are appreciative of the opportunity to recognize those elements that make this season so special. Um, I'm just going to be right up front with you. Um, as I was preparing for this morning's message, uh, I had it all figured out and uh, laid out all the scriptures that I thought would be appropriate and focusing again on the theme, hope, as we do every Advent season, hope, uh, peace, joy, love. And uh, even had a couple quotes worked in, ready to go, from uh, Dr. David Dean, dealing with hope. And uh, got all excited about this as really coming together. And then as I began to just uh, read some of the commentaries that particularly focused on the text that we'll be looking at in just a few minutes, um, the Lord just, just pretty much put a halt to my direction of thought and uh, began to lay before me something something different to look at. And uh, it isn't going to be easy for me to preach because it's been a very convicting message. Uh, I have to say I took it pretty personal <laughs> as I felt the Lord was speaking specifically to me. Which, uh, just a footnote here, when I, when I, and I think most pastors do, when you prepare a sermon, you don't have someone out there in mind. <laughs> You're usually preparing it for yourself. And I think the Lord uh, got his licks in on this one. As, uh, it, it seems to be appropriate for me to, to reflect again on, on what is ours when we talk about the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. I want to read the passage of Scripture, and then we're going to turn to the Lord in prayer. The, the verses that we have chosen are taken from 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Will you pray with me? So grateful for your word, O oh Lord. A word that can prick the very center of our hearts, who can steal our conscience and remind us again of how great and wonderful you are and to remind us also of how dependent we are upon you for all the good things that come our way, for what we need in this life, and for the preparation of a life yet to come. This season, Lord, we're reminded of your coming, coming in the form of a child, the Christ child Jesus, who grew in favor of stature and man. your Son, our Savior, our Lord, who lived among us, who died, who was buried, and then who was raised from the dead, having victory over the grave. And then 
promising to come again, (laughs) our hope in the soon coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But until then, Lord, may we celebrate the hope that we have, the hope that sustains us day after day. To live as a people who know you and know you well, but desire to know you even better. So through your word this morning, dear God, help us to know more about you and to what we discover be applied to our lives as we live in that eternal hope that's in Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. So we enter this Advent season and all kinds of thoughts about Christmas. We seem to want to gravitate to all those things that make us feel good. And even, even the words that we incorporate in worship, as we do this morning, um, are warm and, and comforting. You know, words like hope and peace and joy and love. And the very themes of the Advent season. And as much as we want to settle in on this comfortable feeling around Christmas, we we better take time to recognize really what's what's contained in those those comforting words, such as hope, as represented this morning in lighting the first candle on our Advent wreath. We recognize that hope can mean different things to different people, depending on what our experiences have been with it, or even what we hope to do because of it. Hope is somehow defining Christmas uh, in the eyes of a child, the hope that they have of a particular gift that they're going to get for Christmas. It's interesting, kids of all ages, young and old alike, can loudly or cleverly uh, be able to communicate what they are hoping to get for Christmas. There can be those letters to Santa that reveal the hope that uh, there be all kinds of neat gifts that we would receive. Or hopefully, your wish list on Amazon will prompt someone to make that special purchase just for you. There is a hope for a white Christmas. There is hope to be with family. There is hope to hear from someone you haven't heard from for a long time. That word hope just seems to resonate with where we are as we approach this season of Christmas. There is an element of expectancy, uh, something that we anticipate as the season comes upon us. Hope is our waiting for something, our waiting for someone. Hope is more familiar with what we want. But there's another side of hope that I think we have to give attention to this morning. And that is, it can also be what we have. And that's exactly what Peter's addressing here in his letter. Our hopes reveal so much of who we are. Our hopes will express our desires. Our hopes will... uh, will reveal our objectives, our goals in life, our priorities. And when it comes right down to it, our hopes will also reveal our heart. And that's, again, I think something that Peter hits upon in this letter. So what is our hope as Christians, as believers in this Christ child who came into the world as a savior to live among men 
and to die and to be raised again and then the promise of coming again. What is our hope? Peter does well, and I think putting it in a very concise form, as earlier in his letter he says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's it. That's our hope. What we have in Christ and what we have yet to claim in the name of Jesus, a life today and a life yet to come. This living hope for which we are to be ready to give reason for begins with this heart of ours that's going to be bent toward Christ to in many ways take on, again, an awareness of who Christ is to be uh, place, uh, the place in our lives. We are to revere him, as the text says, considering him holy, acknowledging all his attributes, recognizing that he, Christ, our Lord, is all-sufficient and is able to give us everything that we could possibly even hope for or imagine. We have a God who meets our needs for today and is preparing for us to meet everything that we could even desire for tomorrow and into eternity. If our hearts are on Christ Jesus, then I think there is one very clear uh, outcome or response to that. If our hearts are truly bent toward the Lord Jesus, I think we must be compelled to tell people about this hope that we have. In working through the study this morning, and I say this morning because it was just the last few minutes as I was leaving the house that uh, I felt like this is it. This is all I got. As I worked through that, I was charged to ask myself some very pointed and directed questions. I'm going to share them with you, just to kind of take you through the exercise that the Lord worked me through, thinking that some of these questions might be the very ones you want to ask yourself. The first question that came to mind, do I live my life in such a way that others are inclined to ask me to give reason for my hope, or better yet, what is your hope? And if, I've, if I am asked such a question, am I going to be able to get past the superficial responses? You know, like the things I want in life, those, those items on my bucket list that I want to accomplish, the goals that I have set for myself, a desire for good health, be able to lose weight, those things that just somehow fill our day but really have very little significance when compared to the essential hope that we find in Christ. Am I eager to speak of my faith to tell others about Jesus Christ, my Lord?
I have to ask the question, am I ready to give reason for the hope that I profess to have? Earlier this year, I read um, Fox's Book of the Martyrs, and it's not a book for the weak-hearted. Uh, matter of fact, I was telling my, my daughter Dawn about it, and she said she's tried to read it two or three times to get into it. And the reason why it's such a difficult book, it's a journal of the horrendous things that have been done to Christians throughout the centuries following the birth of Christianity. It's graphic. It's disturbing. And it's convicting. The convicting theme of this account of persecution of those who believed in Christ wholeheartedly, unflinchingly, was their profound certainty in a God of hope. I wish I had just brought a list of some of the testimonies that were spoken as those who had been tied to the stake or laid before the blade of the guillotine or just mass murders or drowning. They're profound but very simple and clear statements of a hope, a living hope in a God that is living and a God who sustains even in the darkest of times. Repeated time and time again on the pages of this journal of martyrdom are the last words of believers that served as reason for their hope. And that, that testimony, the best way I could summarize the testimony of so many, I found, I think, well represented in Psalm 119, 49, and 50. It reads, Remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort is in my suffering. My comfort in my suffering is this. You promise, your promise preserves life. Your promise preserves life. No matter what life deals us, no matter the difficulties that we face, his hope preserves us. His hope sustains us. His hope fills us with an expectation of what we have is sufficient, and yet what is to be gained is even going to be greater than anything that we have asked for. I've debated whether to share this particular quote with you this morning or, or, or not, but here I am. <laughs> and I'm going to take the risk because I think in some ways this thing, this, these words of John Stott in many ways challenges us as believers today and specifically the church as to how we deal with this idea of persecution. Now, we may not all find ourselves at the stake to be consumed by lapping flames of fire or to be boiled alive in oil. But if truly we are set on Christ, you can bet that it's separating us from a world and therefore in so many ways it makes us enemies of the world. Before I read John Stott's words, let me share with you what Alistair Begg says. He says, if you live in such a manner as to stand the test of the last judgment, you can depend upon it that the world will not speak well of you. As, as believers in Jesus Christ, 
We generate for ourselves enemies. Enemies that oppose the cross. Enemies that oppose our Lord and any of those who serve Jesus. But listen to John Stott's words. Those who are in Christ, but not in the world, are not persecuted because they do not come in contact and therefore in collision with their potential persecutors. Those who are in the world, but not in Christ, are also not persecuted because the world sees nothing in them to persecute. The former escapes persecution by withdrawal from the world, the latter by assimilation to it. It is only for those who are both in the world and in Christ simultaneously that persecution becomes inevitable. Oh, how, how often have I avoided those uncomfortable situations because I'm closer to the world than I am to my Christ. It's to be pointed out that this letter that Peter is writing, he is actually writing to the persecuted church. He is writing to those who are suffering persecution at the time of receiving this letter because of their faith in Jesus Christ. It, it began this way. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. This hope that we have, there's nothing in it that's going to disappoint us. Nothing. The believer's hope is much more than just having uh, an optimistic viewpoint of everything. Uh, you know, all is well. It'll, it'll work out okay. Don't worry about it. No. It is the blessed assurance of a future that is found in Christ and based on God's love for us and nothing else. It, reveals, it is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit and it has been clearly demonstrated by the act of love that Jesus himself performed on the cross. Dying for you and for me. Suffering the ultimate persecution for you and for me. Now, while this text is addressing those who are suffering under persecution and are ready to be given a reason for sustaining their sustaining hope during trials and tribulations, the point being made is as relevant today as it was in the time of Christ, at the time of writing this letter. Because it says, be prepared to make a defense to anyone, anyone who asks you for the reason of your hope. If there is the searing inquiry, is the, what, what makes you tick? <laughs> what is this hope that you have? What are your priorities in life? Or if it's one who has come against you with, with the, the agenda to somehow shame you for your faith, it makes no difference. It's anyone. We must be ready to, to give a defense or to explain or give reason for what we believe, who we believe in, and why. Now, the hesitancy to give reason for hope can simply be say, we're not sure we're going to get it right all the time. There's an element of fear that we might not do it right. 
I want to assure you that's something not to be concerned about. You don't, you don't have to have a, a seminary degree to be able to defend the faith. You simply have to be in a position to recognize what God has done in your life, give him thanks for it, and be willing to tell somebody else about it as they inquire. Why, why you are, what's, what's this all about? And then you have the opportunity to simply say, I believe in Jesus Christ because this is what he has done for me. This is what he has promised to me. This is what I find in him and in his word. You don't have to be equipped to, to address all the rebuttals that come against you, trying to poke holes in, into your position of faith. I, I love the story of the, of the woman at the well, of how transparent she is <laughs> as to when she encounters Christ, the one who offered her living water, the one who revealed the fact that he knew everything about her. That was her testimony. She goes back to the village and stands among the people and says, let me tell you about the one who knows everything about me. And what does that do? That compels people to discover there's something going on here. And so they go out and they meet Jesus himself. And in doing that, they too recognize something special. Matter of fact, they ask him to stay around a while so they can get to know him better. And then they, they are able to identify truly who he is, the one sent by God. The first step to be ready to give reason for the hope that is in you is simply this. Have Jesus Christ in your heart. Just have him in your heart. Be encouraged that when you wrestle over what in the world I'm going to say, Jesus has already addressed this. He did it as he spoke to his disciples, both in the, in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. As, as he was seeing what's ahead in terms of their faith being tested in the, in the terms of them having to give reason for who they believe in and why. He says in Luke 12, verses 11 and 12, And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. <laughs> if he puts you in a position of where you have to give reason for your faith and Jesus Christ is in your heart, you are equipped with the Holy Spirit to just say it as it is and let the Holy Spirit do his work. It's not in the... It's not in the, the the, the uh, um, what am I looking for? The way you, it's not in the selection of your words. It's, it's not in, in in your cleverness. It's not in your your personality. It's in the power of the Holy Spirit by entrusting to Him to simply make sense of what's being shared. In addition to holding Jesus in our heart. I think two things come out of that. Number one, if someone's in your heart, like, you know, when you meet that first love and she's in your heart, you want to get to know her better, you want to spend time with her, that's the same thing with Jesus. If Jesus is in your heart, you want to get to know him better, you're going to spend time with him. You're going to be in his word. You're going to be able to identify who he is by spending time in the scriptures. Peter, again, earlier in his letter, says this, Therefore, prepare your minds. For action. 
Be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. And Paul writes to Timothy and he says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Get familiar with the word, the word that points to Jesus, to allow you to know him better. And then, to get to know him better, to spend time with him, do it in prayer. Do it in prayer. One of my favorite passages of scripture. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Waiting on the Lord equips us for everything that is expected of us. Um, The psalmist puts it this way. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits and his word And in his word, I put my hope. It it goes together, his word, and waiting on him, praying in him, getting to know him better, solidifying that residency in your heart where Jesus belongs. This may may be a challenge that you have to consider. But truly, if Jesus is in our heart, and there's a longing to to be able to share him with others, then it should be also... An activity of prayer, asking the Lord to give us the opportunities to share with others the reason for our hope. I did that on an occasion. Uh, you know, the, the, the most, I guess, familiar testimony revealing the fact of the person you sit next to on the airplane. Um, I, I remember I was at a convention and doing something. I don't know about, about the convention. <laughs> but I remember wanting to get home. And I got on the plane and I didn't really want to be bothered. I just want to be alone. But the night before, because of the inspiration of the speaker, I prayed, Lord, if, if you want me to share my faith with someone, set them before me and may it, may it be certain that this is the opportunity. So I get on the plane and I always take the, 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 the seat next to the window so I can turn away and not have to pay attention who's sitting next to me. So I can lean my head against the bulkhead and, and get a good night's or a good trip's rest. Well, lo and behold, a lady sits down next to me and she begins the conversation. Wants to know what I do for a living. I work for Jesus. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> I told her I was involved in, in helping churches. I didn't tell her I was a pastor. I said, I'm involved in helping churches. Oh. And then I had to say, well, and, and, and where have you been? Where are you headed? I'm heading home. But I've been to a, a retreat. I said, really? Yeah. She said, yeah. He said, it was a treat. And it's told, have you ever heard of the road to Emmaus? Oh, I said, yeah, I've heard of it. And, and uh, she began to tell me that her sister-in-law made her go to this retreat. And being there, she was told about this encounter with Jesus. And she's trying to sort through it. If the Lord wasn't opening a door to share a living faith, a living hope. I, I, I would have, I'll miss every opportunity from this point forward. It was as clear as it could be that this is my opportunity. And through, a, and I'm not gonna tell you how the conversation went, but just simply through that encounter, we established that this girl, this lady, was gonna continue on that road to Emmaus. We should be praying for the opportunities and taking them. But we need to do this with gentleness and respect. 
Paul writes to the church in Colossae. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Make the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. That's the, be- the beauty of this particular verse. It personalizes it. As you're, as you're sharing the faith, you're sharing it differently with different people. Circumstances make it different. Whether you're on a plane talking to a lady who just got off from a retreat she didn't want to go to, or you're sharing it with your neighbor who you've known for years, or someone in your family. But you personalize it, and you do it with tenderness. As again, Peter says, with gentleness and respect. Respect, yes, for the word, for sure, but also respect for the person. You are not to force anything on anybody. You extend it as an invitation to discover what is to be found in Christ. Let the Holy Spirit do that. Let him do the convicting. You don't have to beat up anybody to accept Jesus. If, if our behavior is contrary to our words, our testimony, then we are setting up, up, up what can be a, a total failure. It can, be, it can be a discredit to us as a professing believer and also even to the faith that we are trying to promote. Be consistent in all that you do and that you say that it is consistent with God's word. Gentle, kind, respectful. Our reason for the, our hope is in God who loves us so much. This is so simple, you all know it by heart. The reason for our hope is in a God who loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know it by heart. It's in your heart. That's what you share as the blessed hope, the living hope. Paul says to Timothy, this is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance and for this we labor and strive that we have put our hope in the living God who is the savior of all men and especially of those who believe. So then, from the words of the writer of Hebrews, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who has promised is faithful. Christmas marks the coming of Jesus. His his birth was announced by a host of angels, and they were proclaiming uh, peace and joy. And you know what? Where do we find that? Let me read it to you. Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace. (laughs) in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will abound in hope. 